It's another edition of Terry's Talking. David Campbell, sports manager at Cleveland.com, alongside Terry Pluto, award-winning columnist from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. Easy for me to say. Terry, how's it going? That just shows you that introduction is too long. <laughs> we need to get someone to do it for That is a message from the heavens just to say, this is David and Terry babbling. David and Terry. Here right. we go. I'll try that next time. So, all right. Hey, Terry, let's start with the Cavaliers today. So last night, uh, we're recording this on Wednesday, Tuesday night. They went to Brooklyn for the 7-8 play-in game, which is part of the new format in the NBA playoffs. They lost 115-108 to 108 to the Brooklyn Nets, and they're going to be playing on Friday. Uh, what did you think of the Cavs' effort last night and how they played? And they, they just ran into just two incredible players, obviously, in Kyrie Irving and, and Kevin Durant. I was disappointed that the first quarter went the way it did because um, I just put together some scribbles for tomorrow morning uh, online and both um, in the paper that you could buy at the newsstand. And the, the, a week ago they played Brooklyn and at the end of the first quarter it was 34 to 19. This time they played them, it was 40 to 20. And then you just spend the rest of the day chasing that deficit and I was hoping that at least something in the first quarter would be better for them. And if anything, it was worse. Now, granted, you know, Kyrie and I mean, Kyrie felt like playing. He was not going to lose to the Cavs, you know, and, and when he's walked in and wants to do it there. And Durant is a very, very good defensive player. That's one of the things that people forget about that him. The remarkable thing is when the Cavs would play them, in the finals when he was at Golden State, say he would just take LeBron by himself. That took away the ability to double team and everything. So you had Market and Chase and Durant around, and that that wasn't real great. And it was just they just really they just struggled a lot. I mean, this is a team that hasn't been there. And the other one, the other team, those guys have uh, been on title winning teams. Yeah, I don't know the exact number, but I think the Cavs had like five games of playoff experience, if that. Well. No, it must have been more than that. But there was a the Brooklyn lineup was in the 200s in terms of right. playoff games that those guys had experienced. It was a pretty yeah, big discrepancy. Levert, Levert's been in nine games. I looked this up. You know, yeah, the other Kevin guys Love's obviously not. been in a lot. But, yes, Kevin's yeah. been in a lot. And uh, But when Rondo came in, Rondo's been in a lot too. And the interesting thing, there are a couple of things that happened here. Number one is Okoro, who in the month of March – was shooting the ball very well. I mean, very well as in 51% from the field, 45% on threes. He had got that four, that corner three down, and it went away with April showers. I mean, it just gone to the point of uh, I threw out the Milwaukee game because it didn't matter or anything. But uh, he had, you know, the, the Cavs have had a lot of big games lately. Orlando, two with Brooklyn, one with Philadelphia. In those games, Coral's played 103 minutes. He has scored 11 points and he was three for 11 from the field. And you, you know, this guy's not there to score a lot, but you've got to score something and you have to be a threat. So that's killing him and killing them. Uh, I have proposed for this for tomorrow and the paper, and I've heard it kind of, I, I know Chris Fedor is thinking about it too. I would start love definitely in that game five. Or, or whatever game seven it's the, it's the last game whatever you want to call it this is a win or go home right and then you get back to at least some semblance of the big lineup you would have love marketing and mobley across the front and then you go with levert and uh darius in the backcourt 
uh, and give that a try. The Cavs are plus 10 with love on the court in 29 minutes. So he was, you know, he's a real factor. So a couple of things on the 40 point quarter that I wanted to mention real fast, you know how it is. Sometimes a 40 point quarter happens because your defense is terrible. Mm-hmm. And there are other 40 point quarters. And I thought that 40 point quarter was, uh, was because of two reasons. Number one, the Cavs had some good looks yeah. and they didn't hit them. And you know how it is when, when the other team is taking the ball out of the bottom of the basket and having to, having to check, you know, check it in that lets you get back on defense when you're missing that creates rebounds. You're trying to get back in transition. And the other thing was the Nets hit a, a lot of tough shots yeah. in that game last night. So, you know, I, I think if you're JB Bickerstaff, you can't really fault the defensive effort so much last night is, so I think that'll carry over for them on Friday, but going I back to, liked, go ahead, Terry, sorry. I would have liked to though, on the flip side, have seen some things where you scored 19 points in the first quarter in the other first Brooklyn game at 20 this time. So, and Brooklyn is a bad defensive team for the most part. So there are things they should have done. Yeah, they missed some open shots, but they also did a lot of dribbling into trouble. I saw that kind of going in the middle of the key and, uh-oh, what's going on? So I, I think offensively they could have made some adjustments, but uh, look, Brooklyn, <laughs> Brooklyn's better in Cleveland, and, and that's where they're at. I'm just fascinated to see how it'll be. Friday night. I think the crowd will be rocking. The crowd has fallen in love with this team. That you know, so supportive all year. Um, but what is JB going to do with the lineup? I know the backcourt's worrying him. I'd like to see some of those minutes that have been going to Okoro to go to Lamar Stevens uh, because I think he just he's in a better place mentally right now. Unfortunately, Stevens really can't shoot threes. Okoro can't shoot threes. Rondo really can't shoot threes. The only guys right now that could shoot threes um, are Love, if I'm putting him in the lineup, and Markkanen at times, and, of course, Darius. Now, if I'm playing the Cavaliers, I'm sending three guys at Darius Garland. I want that ball out of his hands every time. Uh, but I'll tell you, that, you know, he's 22 years old. He threw 34 points on the Brooklyn Nets. And Mobley's 20 years old. Playoff style game, 19 and seven. And the other, basically, the two big Brooklyn games, because I, I, the other one's kind of like a playoff game, too. Mobley's averaging 18.7 rebounds, shooting 54%. And both of those guys got better as the game went along, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they did. They figured they adjusted. They saw what, what was being done to them. And then I think also JB made some adjustments, too. So, hey, I'm just, who knew? A year ago, we were talking about, will Kobe Altman be fired? What's coming next? And now we're, you know, whining about that didn't beat Brooklyn. I mean, that's kind of worth a completely different discussion. It, that everybody it, was it, it is with a shot to win. I like the play in thing. I, I, I think it's. It's put more meaning to the regular season. And then it, it then. Like if your team is here, uh, it gives them a feel for what playoff basketball is like. And the Cavs have been playing big games for over two months now. And that's really important for them. And that'll help them a lot down the line. So, so Terry, I want to talk, you mentioned Kevin Love and he had a really nice game last night. I mean, he was five of 11. I think he was plus 10, which was the, the best on the Cavaliers, 14 points, 13 rebounds, 
the big storyline is like, is Jarrett Allen going to be able to play Friday? Cause he's been yeah. out with that broken finger. Where do you want to see Kevin love playing on the court offensively Friday night? If Jared Allen's in the lineup, that might allow them to move him out more to the three point line where when yeah, the Cavs the, get going, he's sinking threes from out there. But if Jared Allen isn't able to play, what, what do you want to see from Kevin? Well, love? My, my idea of love playing is a Jared. I'm assuming Allen's not, you know, that's the old, I'm not, assuming Allen's playing until he's playing. Um, and so if he is playing, if he's playing and then love comes off the bench and, and does what love can do the flip side. Now, if he's not, um, then you're a lot, you can really kind of spread the court, both with marketing and love. And you could put one in one wing and one in the other and, and really, pass the ball, you know, do some skip passes across or just create some more openings. What that'll do is open up the middle for um, Darius to drive to the rim uh, or hopefully, which I still would like to see them use more mobile in the low post. Uh, he's not a classic low post player, but if you notice, he takes his time and he gets more spin dunks and little hooks. And I mean, wait till this two more years in year three, Mobley's going to be really good next year. But in year three, when he's 22, like kind of where he hits Garland's thing, look out. I mean, this guy could be averaging, you know, in the low 20s and 12 rebounds. I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see what he evolves into. Well, and you know how it is with NBA players, too. They get stronger, a little yeah, thicker as they get older. Imagine his frame with maybe 10 or 15 more pounds mm-hmm. of muscle on it. And, he's, and I know even though he's played well, he realizes there's been some games, you know, where he got bullied out. By the way, I've always kind of had a soft spot for Andre Drummond. Yeah, I was there. It's like, I know they always say some of his points are empty or whatever. He gave the Cavs fits in that game. And I watched a couple other games or Brooklyn. He's helped them. He really has. And, uh, you know, that's good. The big, big men are still needed if they're used right. Yeah, they're kind of coming back into vogue in the yeah. Cavs with the big lineup. So, Terry um, – well, two questions real quick. So Kevin Love was three of four on three-pointers last night. Can the Cavs win Friday against either Charlotte or Atlanta if Kevin Love is shooting four three-pointers, or does he need to shoot more than that? Um, especially if they're leaving him open. He needs to shoot more, and Markin needs to shoot more. You know, one of they need one of those guys. Maybe they go after Love and leave and wide open. But that's what they need to have two alternatives. The other thing now, let's give the Cavs credit for this Love off the bench. He's played 74 games this year. It's the most games he has played since 2015 and 16 when he played 77. So it worked. The love off the bench thing worked. Now we don't care about it anymore because it's a do or die game and stardom. If he has to play 35 minutes, plays 35 minutes, whatever it's going to take. It's got a long um, time to rest if they don't he's win. Plenty, right. If they don't yeah. win. And it, even if, you know, it's just, it, it, I was so pleased to see how this worked out for Kevin. And it's just, it's just a shame, you know, because they, the team is built with from Mobley and Allen to just guard that middle of the court. And you see the difference when they don't have them. Jared Allen, by the way, this will be the case for, for why was Allen an all-star? You see it. Yeah, the numbers don't lie in terms of the yeah. impact since he's been out. So uh, real quick, before we wrap up our Cavs segment here, Chris Fedor, our colleague who covers the team, he's been posting a lot of video of Jared Allen doing individual workouts yeah. before games, trying to get that hand back to where he can use it in a, in a, in a positive way. If 
he doesn't play Friday, can the Cavs win this game? Yeah, they can because I I mean you're not facing whatever team they're facing, you're not facing Durant. We'll start with that. Durant is just he's amazing. I mean, Durant is up there with LeBron and and some of these, you know, when you start talking to five greatest players, ten greatest players of all time, he's in the discussion. Because his his defense is underrated. You saw the block shots, he contested things. Um there's nobody like that on Atlanta or Charlotte. I mean, yeah, Trey Young can score a lot of points and that, but the, the Cavs are now back in their element with those teams. So you, the answer is yes. And they'll have the home crowd behind them, and mm-hmm. they'll all be looking to just don't give up forty points in the first. Don't <laughs> give up forty points in the first quarter. That's all. And they'll be all right. So so it's going to be a crazy di- a crazy night on Friday. Terry, yeah. we're going to have the Cavaliers playing their play-in game against either Charlotte or Atlanta. And at the same time, why don't we move and talk about the Guardians? Now, the Guardians will be playing their home opener on Friday night at Progressive Field against the San Francisco Giants. And, boy, what a story this has been. Stephen Kwan, everybody's just enamored. And I know your wife, Roberta, has been a – Longtime fan of Stephen Kwan, even dating back before this season. Why don't you tell yeah. the story about how that? Yeah, all it's like we're watching this spring game. This is in 2021 now, and I think I mentioned to her that I wanted kind of to see Kwan because I had heard that he was pretty good, uh, and I had seen him at played at Oregon State because I happened to watch an Oregon State game when they were in a College World Series because I noticed that one of their players that the Indians had drafted, as they were called back then, was Stephen Kwan. So I saw him, and, he, you know, he looked like kind of a pesky leadoff hitter. That's right. I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. So I sort of filed it away. But in that game, I remember he slapped the base hit to left field. Uh, he bunted a guy over. He either stole a base or went first to third, and, and he just looked like a good player. And my wife decided she liked him. It's like when, like when she first saw Coco Chris, she liked Tim. She likes Sinshu too. So she likes these smaller outfielders. And so that's her guy. She used to like Jose Ramirez. She still does, but now Jose's a star. So that's not, I think she likes to pick them when they're, you know, on the, the way up. Yeah. yeah. On the way up. Like she does her own scouting. So, um, and I even told Chris Antonetti, I said, well, my wife likes Stephen Kwan. He goes, well, we do too. Uh, but I don't think anybody, including Roberta expected, uh, maybe even him to make the team a year ago, much less. I mean, we're today he struck out. So, I mean, the world has ended as we know it. Well, and you've been talking for a couple of weeks or longer oh, about Kwan. Stephen Kwan oh, yeah. and about how he makes contact every time he's up and he puts the ball in play. Let's look at some of these numbers, Terry. Yeah. I mean, it's really ridiculous in a lot of ways. So he became the sixth player since 1901 to have a five hit game within his first three major league games. He was the first player since 1901 to reach base 15 times in his first four games. Um, But anyway, I I know for sure he went 116 pitches without a swing and a miss. His first swing and a miss was today against the Reds. uh, Going, I was checking the the box score before we came in. I know the Guardians are winning. He's one for three. He's got a walk and his strikeout, as you mentioned. It was his first strikeout of the season. The Guardians are up six to one in the fifth inning. According to Elias Sports Bureau, his 116 pitches seen marks the longest streak without a swing and a miss for any batter to start his major league career among players who've debuted since 2000. The last previous high was 100 pitches seen by David Fletcher in 2018. 
Um, and his, his strikeout today was the first time he'd struck out since September in a professional at bat. So that's really something. Well, he didn't strike out in spring training either. So now I remember um, talking to Antonetti as spring training was opening before the games began. And I brought up Juan in this. He said, this guy can go a week without a swing and a miss. And I'm like, I laughed. He goes, oh, I guess it's pretty close. Just watch. So they had their eye on him. And I think they were thinking, you know, this might be one of the reasons they just didn't rush out to just grab any old outfielder. They, they, they figured they had straw and center and let's keep one of those positions open for somebody. And it, I, and I still think at some point they're going to go with uh, Rosario on left field. I, I thought it was unfortunate that opening game. It was, it was a tough play. I mean, yes, an experienced left fielder plays the win well and makes the catch. People are like it. Um, you know, it hit his glove. He should have caught it. Yeah, he should have. He did catch a couple other balls out there, but you know, let's not, uh, dwell on that because by the way, he is another and you're a nice player. What I've liked about the lineup now that you see is you're cutting down on these guys that strike out all the time because he, uh, you know, Straw doesn't strike out a lot, Quan doesn't strike out at all, Jose doesn't strike out nearly as much as you would think a power hitter does, Fran Mill will, but he's not outrageous, Rosario doesn't strike out that much. Now Owen Miller, who had two home runs today, by the way, has take will take over at uh, first base, and he doesn't strike out much. Now Hedges strikes out all the time, but you you just see that it's more of an old style team, and they do have some speed. Um, let's see how this plays out. I mean, I got so tired of the launch angle and games that are strikeouts and walks and homers. That you know. Talk about why games are too long. It's because not only does it take longer, but it's just like there's no action. Yeah, and on that vein, Terry, I well, first of all, his overall stats: Stephen Kwan batting average coming into today's game six sixty seven. His on base percentage seven fifty. Yeah, slugging percentage nine thirty three. But on that vein of what you're just talking about, I, I was curious. I went into Baseball Savant. I wanted to pull some numbers to see what his game looks like and they have a thing it's called mlb percentile rankings where 100 is you're at the top of the league in a given category and zero yeah. you're at the bottom of the league so stephen kwan's exit velocity and now you were talking about launch angle mm -hmm. and exit velocity stephen kwan's exit velocity is ranked 10 out of 100 so he's not really? like he's not like sending the ball 500 feet no. out of the ballpark but his um his hard hit percentage is 18 but his whiff percentage, he's, we talked about this already, his whiff percentage, he's one, ranked 100. His chase rate, mm -hmm. 76, okay, which is really high. That means he's not spending yeah. a lot of bad doesn't, pitches. Doesn't, right. Um, you know, strikeout percentage, he's 97. He's barreling mm -hmm. up uh, barrel percentage, he's ranked 40th. His walks, he's ranked 98. Um, yeah. And just if you look at the – they also rank pitches that batters chase – Mm -hmm. um, they, they call heart of the plate, shadow, chase pitches, and waste yeah. pitches. And the chase pitches are the ones where they try to get batters to chase. He's only chasing 11% of chase pitches. And the, I think the MLB average is, uh, is 23%. So that's he's really selective. Early. He's really selective yeah. when he's up there, isn't he? And also given the fact too, that he's just a rookie and this is first thing the temp temptation is to be chasing and going after bad pitches. But he, I remember one of the things that intrigued me about him 
you know, going back when the uh, tribe drafted him was, you know, he's leading off Oregon State as a baseball power. People don't realize that it's a big, big time program. And he was leading off for a team that won the national championship. Um, and at five foot nine, 165 pounds, but he was always on base. And so you see that kind of um, patience at the plate. Now, right now, he is at a point where almost anything he hits finds a hole, you know, so that that some of that is going to back off. But I also know this, if you hit the ball more often, this is like common sense, but it's, it's lost in some of the analytics. If you're not striking out and you hit the ball more often, you have more of a chance to reach base because if you strike out, the only way you get on base is if the catcher misses the ball. But they might make an error on you. You might break a bat that falls in. Uh, there might be, you know, just it forces them to get you out instead of the old don't get yourself out. And so that's and then you put him between Straw and Jose. I mean, so by the time Jose comes up, you've got these guys that have been working the count. And I think the underrated signing, by the way, was straws. That's a very team-friendly contract. In spring training, when I did a long profile of straw, he told me that he really liked it here. And, you know, this is a guy that was cut as a freshman from his high school team. Then he had a pretty good career in Bradenton, Florida, and made like all conference, but nobody wanted him. He walked on at the St. John's Junior College in Paletka, Florida, because his friend went there. Two years later, he got drafted in the 12th round by Houston. Um, was really probably thought about going to a four-year school, but figured I better sign now because they may not want me. You know, maybe, you know, you get cut a couple times and that. So he signed for a hundred grand with the Astros and, you know, ran into a bunch of young outfitters there in front of him. But you just look at his, um, his poise. I mean, he saved Quan the other day in that game. Remember Quan had the ball pop out of his mitt and straw was right there to kind of clean it up and force the guy second base and, um, and to get him tied up for the five years. And that that's tremendous. Terry, what about um, – we'll wrap up here on the Guardians in a second. What is your thought in general? Anything else you want to talk about about the Guardians in terms of what you're seeing and, and how you think they're set up for the future here? I've been – the pitching's been better than I thought. Now, granted, the, the Reds are a complete disaster. Uh, I didn't even realize this. Tom, I was just listening to Tom Hamilton before we came on. He said the Reds have 10 pitchers who have had a year or less experience in the majors. Yeah, you're going nowhere with that. I knew they cleaned house and everybody but Volta, but it's just. So nonetheless, uh, what they did against Kansas City and here, once they got going, I don't know if they were still asleep for the first two games or what, is encouraging at the play. And then, you know, Beaver got, now Beaver got his velocity up to 92, 93 this last game. He had been at 90, 91 before that. Uh, McKenzie's looked very good. Uh, Savali looks, looked like Savali. So, um, you know, that starting pitching, if it could stay healthy, is going to carry him a lot. I'm still concerned about the bullpen. You know, Cossais had a little bit of trouble. I think he'll shape up, but some of these other guys uh, they're going to rely on will be tested. But I'm just I'm glad they're coming home with uh, uh, what should be what a four and two record, and they need to get off to a decent start to to kind of get people back interested. I know this the the rabid 
Cleveland baseball fans that I hear from all the time, they've been emailing like crazy. I mean, they, they're, they're grabbing on to different players. Um, of course, they're the ones that are following Baseball America and following the prospects. But nonetheless, they're seeing with your own eyes that, yeah, there's a reason that Antonetti and Chernoff valued these guys. There is talent there. And it wasn't just a money thing. It was we no. believe these guys and we're going to give them a chance to play. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, they could still make a move on one, a veteran outfitter or something like that. Uh, they have to get another catcher because, you know, I mean, fans want to get rid of Hedges because he can't hit. Uh, he's not going to hit, but they can't. They need just another guy, Lou Molly or whatever this other guy is. Forget that. They need another catcher to help out. All right. And as the weather gets better, we'll see the pitchers stretch out a little bit. And mm-hmm. It'll be a little bit. Uh, they'll be going longer into the games and. We'll see how the bullpen is situated at that point. So, all right, Terry, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about Baker Mayfield. He was on a podcast today, has some things to say about his <laughs> departure from Cleveland. We can uh. talk about your faith column. We got some good Hey Terry questions, and we've got some Terry's trivia. We'll be right back on Terry's Talking. We are back on Terry's talking, David Campbell and Terry Pluto. Terry, I know you might not know this, but there are other podcasts out there besides Terry's talking and people listen to them. So we're going to mention this podcast that Baker Mayfield was on today. Uh, It's called YNK, you know what I mean podcast. And Baker Mayfield was a guest on there. The podcast dropped today. Here's what he had to say about his end. Before we go anywhere. Yeah. who, Who runs this and why did he pick that one? I don't know the story behind that. It might be a Texas thing, but I'm not sure. Um, that is a good question. But the what guy was who the name of it again? It's the YNK You Know What I Mean podcast. There you go. All right. See, um, if we didn't named ours that, then we would have got Baker to say some dumb things to us, as he just did. All right. Well, here's what he had to say today. I feel disrespected 100%. He told Mike, the podcast host, I was told one thing and they completely did another. He said, uh, he was talking about how we had four head coaches in four years and the lack Mm -hmm. of stability. He says, I'm just looking for stabilization right now. I have no idea where I'm going, but I'm not nervous. I'm going to control what I can control. I really truly have no regrets of my time in Cleveland or what I tried to give that place. True Clevelanders and true Browns fans know that. And that's why I can walk away from the whole situation feeling like I did it. Um, He said that there was some issues in the locker room that were ongoing. Specifically, he was trying to figure out how to motivate guys who didn't want to win as much as he did. And his quote there was, how how can I get the best out of people who are making a blank ton of money? And he also admitted that he thought he would land with the Colts. And he thinks uh, he thought Seattle might be the best option. He's waiting to see what happens. Uh, And one final quote, I needed a little reignite. I needed a little slap in the face. I'm excited. I think he also says something about how would you like people to go to your uh, a cubicle and boo you? And I cleaned That's it up, right. by the way. <laughs> That's right. I want to go to uh, people's work and boo them in their cubicle. All right. Number one, he shouldn't have done any podcast at all. The media blackout from Baker's thing was wise. Because you don't right now, anything he would say is going to hurt him in the eyes of other teams. Uh, 
because it goes, what you want to do if you're Baker is go against anybody that says you're, uh, uh, you know, you're kind of a loose cannon or whatever phrase you want to use. You're not mature. That's really it. You know, the adult in the room line. That's what I was looking for. You, the adult in the room would know, shut up till you get traded. After you get traded, you want to rip into them and explain yourself. Fine. But right now, as I wrote about last week, you know, you're a depressed asset. You know, you're, you're like a stock that nobody wants to buy. And I think it's unfair. I still think if he gets healthy, he can still play and, and win some games. But clearly, they're not lining up for you. And then to get into uh, disrespected by the Browns and the weird thing about motivating people make a lot of money. Well, all the stars make a lot of money. You're making 19 million. So it's just, that's the old look in the mirror. I just thought it was just a bad idea. And, you know, it, it does fall into the lack of maturity thing. Yeah. I mean, try, I'm trying to think of other quarterbacks who in the same situation would have done a podcast to make their case. Like, could you see Russell Wilson doing this or How about Jimmy Matt Garoppolo Ryan? who is in that position? Well, per, there's a perfect example. There's yeah. a guy who's hanging out in the wind, um, has brought a lot of success. Well, not brought, but he's been part of a lot of success with well, the 49ers. He hasn't, can messed how, it up. How, he hasn't messed it up and yeah. he's hanging out there and he's not doing podcasts. So, I mean, no. it's Baker's right to do whatever he wants. But you're right. It's just you're looking for someone who can be the face of your franchise. And this doesn't help his cause, which is yeah. I'm basically repeating what you're saying. But it, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And bad timing, because, you, you know, if you want to pop off the old thing, pop off after you having a good year, not a bad one. So I'm sure Andrew Barry is going, oh, great. Just what we need him, you know, doing this when we're trying to move him. And. Baker, what you would want to do, and his agent sort of said, no, we want to make sure that we're coming across, you know, take take the high ground. Fans, a lot of them have been in this corner because they did agree they felt that he, the Browns disrespected him. And But the best thing to do then is just act, you know, be classy about it. You know, keep thanking the fans, say how wonderful they are. I love Cleveland. You know, I'll do a great job wherever I'm going to go. And then you could go tell Emily and your friends what you really feel. And I guess the WNKY podcast, maybe you didn't know that was a podcast. I doubt it. But it's like, why, why, why you do that? So anyway, I was disappointed for that. And I think it hurt him. It was a bad idea. I am going to write a column about that, that this was just not a good idea. Yeah, and you're right. It's face of the franchise stuff, and this is this is not going to help. So now, when people say you are immature and you disagree with them, well, don't give them material that looks like you can't. You're overly sensitive, uh, and I think part of this comes from, you know, Baker has a not just a chip on his shoulder, but some of it has been insecurity in his career. And when when you know you you have to kind of know yourself. And I realize it's easier to say this at 66 than 26, but Baker's been in the, the, the spotlight for quite a while now for, you know, was it three years at Oklahoma and then plus four years in the NFL. And I mean, I, I know the Browns are just are elated that 
they won't have to kind of do damage control after Baker once they do get him out of here. Well, and think of this, Terry. You're a team that might be considering making a trade. Yeah. So think back to the when OBJ left. The Browns mm-hmm. went out of their way to make sure that that ended amicably because, number one, they liked OBJ and they wanted to do right by him. But the other part of it, and we've talked about this, is that it's important to have a good reputation around the league so that when players come, they know that if it, if it doesn't end well, they're going to be treated right and the team's going to try and do right and make every, you know, and it's going to end amicably. If you're an NFL team, part of what you're considering when you bring in Baker was, geez, if I bring this guy in, is he going to, is he going to rip us when he leaves too? Like, you or, know, or he even did? heck, remember when he was still there, he was making comments about, well, there's other stuff going on in the team during the season. Yeah. 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 When and you're so, playing, when you're playing poorly, see, it, you, you could say you're allowed to be a lot bolder and right when things are going well for you. And when they're not, you're not allowed to even what you would consider to be candid because it comes across as, you know, excusing or whatnot. And um, I just, of all the things to do it before the draft coming up, I mean, this is when they're really getting some serious trade discussions going on. Yeah. The clock is ticking. The timing is terrible. Yeah. This is this, the timing was terrible. Yeah. All right, Terry, let's talk about your faith column this week. Uh, It's going to be on cleveland.com on Saturday and in the plain dealer on Sunday. Uh, It was really interesting the way you were out in Arizona. You're writing about when you're out there covering spring training. I know you you were a big hiker, uh, Mm -hmm. you and Roberta, and you took uh, a hike and you happened to look at the cacti out in the desert and it kind of made you think of Easter and the story behind Easter. Why don't you talk about um, that hike that you took and what it meant? Well, I like to go out kind of as sunset hits because it's just, and you could drive from Goodyear 15 or 20 miles and really get away from everybody, different directions. I went down towards Gila Bend. I love the name Gila Bend, by the way, but sounds like, you know, you should see tumbleweeds going down the streets and that, but this is a little North of it. And it was just, they have several wilderness areas. I just pulled off in one and it, I, it was, I was running a little later and I wanted, I was just out there for 15 or 20 minutes, but there's nobody around. I saw one pickup truck go down the dirt road behind me and that was it. But I was looking at the different cacti, cactus, um, especially one that really looked like a cross in the sunset and some of the others. And it just reminded me of, uh, you know, Easter's coming up and um, I don't know, the sunset and, and it's quiet. And one of my favorite biblical stories is that it's called the thief on the cross Dismas, or, you know, where Jesus is dying. He's and at one point, I, in fact, I took a picture of it. There were three cacti with, you know, kind of a bigger one in the middle. And that's how it's always portrayed Jesus in the middle and two criminals, one on each side, one on the other. And how uh, at that point, Jesus is at his weakness. And um, one of the people, unless you kind of study some of this stuff, don't realize that back then executions were public events. I mean, people came out and watched them. They yelled at the people on the cross or they yelled at them dragging it through the, this was entertainment. You know, they didn't have cable TV. Now they didn't have the internet. And so this is all going on as Jesus, especially if somebody was kind of well-known being crucified. So they're all yelling at him and um, you know, why don't you come down off the cross, save us, save yourself. And one of the criminals insisted says yells at the other criminal yelling at him. you know, we're, we deserve what we got. You know, this guy's done nothing wrong. And remember, it's a very small world back then. So the odds are both of these criminals and others had heard Jesus speak at one time or another. He'd be in the temple or in the town squares and 
I mean, Jesus never went farther than 30 miles from his hometown of Nazareth. I mean, he was in a very confined area. And so then he just turns to Jesus, very interesting, you know, can you, you know, can you be with me in paradise? You know, can I, you know, basically he's, he's not asking me down. He wants, he wants to be forgiven. And that is one of the things of Easter is it's time for some of us. This is because the theme is to be like the Dismas as is known in the Catholic tradition, a good, the good uh, thief and say, you know, I just need to quit beating myself up. I may deserve to be on this cross, but that's not the end. And one of the things we're about too is there will be people who will not quote unquote forgive us remember people have written about this often but it's you know forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things you know you could forgive somebody they don't have to be your best friend and sometimes we've hurt people where i've had a couple of relationships where they were fairly close and i i did some things that were not good and they're very casual now and i don't blame the people you know uh, one was a, a source who felt that I kind of burned him a long time ago. And and actually now we're pretty much past the whole thing 15 years later, but it took time. And uh, the other is is just uh, some things that went bad, um, some family mess, as they like to say. So those are things you accept, but it's like you, you have to stop beating yourself up and and believe that this is the time of forgiveness. And that's the biggest gift of Easter is forgiveness. And even if other people don't forgive us, you know, God will forgive us. And so stop, take that hammer away from your head. This has been a theme you've kind of been focusing on for a couple of weeks and you've gotten some yeah. really heartfelt responses. I know mm -hmm. from people who've, who've really taken some of what you've been writing about and, um, and applied it to their own lives. Yeah. And also just, we, we let so many people define us, David. You know, and it's just amazing how, and I still fight it after all these years, you know, one or two like really harsh emails. Sometimes it's like, I, I forget about the, the last 10 have been great. And it's like, you just have to stop. And, and also, uh, you know, a lot of people are running from their own pain. Absolutely. So let's move on to some Hey Terry questions. You ready? Okay. All right. This one is from Bob and Bob says, Hey Terry. I have a baseball question now that the season is underway. During the lockout, there seemed to be quite a bit of negotiation talk about tanking. I do not believe it is fair or correct to include the Guardians, given how good they've been over the past number of years, but the payroll is low. I thought the comparison of records of the Guardians and the Browns Terry made in a previous podcast were very interesting. So my question has to do with payroll. For the Guardians to have a $100 million payroll, what would the attendance need to be to support that level of spending? I don't know, but I, the last time they had one, basically the, the only time they really had one is when they had uh, John Sherman as a minor owner. So the answer is got to get another minor owner in here. And, you know, this thing with Blitzer, I don't know anything other than it, it appears to be stalled to me because remember that came out many months ago uh, and they were talking with this guy and it's been nothing since. So, um, that's probably what it what it's going to require. The tanking question is interesting um, because you could have a low payroll, but what if you still keep winning? Are you tanking? You know, Tampa Bay, are they tanking? Like now, not, right yeah. now, it's right not the now, same the, thing necessarily, right? Yeah, right now the Reds are tanking. Oakland is like, I mean, they're ready to sell like. Uh, 
seats out of their ballpark. I mean, they're, they're really tanking. I don't know what the pirates have been doing for the last several years, but I know this, the, the last time the guardians were really bad and they were the Indians. And that was in 2012 when uh, Francona was hired after that season. And they had just been through a couple of years of like 90 losses. So you've got to go back more than 10 years. And the other thing I was going to throw out, Terry, well, two things. Uh, number one, we don't have access to the Guardians books, yeah. and we don't know kind of how much they're making, how much they're, you know, they're spending on everything in terms of ballpark operations. The other thing that's coming down the line, and it's going to be coming fast, is there's going to be a lot of new revenue sources coming in from yeah. you know, streaming opportunities from Amazon and Apple and other places getting involved. And the other thing that's going to be a big financial windfall is this betting thing yes. that's going to be happening in Ohio. Every ballpark in every stadium in America within the next five years, I think, is going to have a sports book in it where you can get up from your seat at halftime and go bet on mm-hmm. what the final score will be. So that'll be bringing some money. But the problem for the Guardians is that everybody's going to be making more money. And so if the yeah. Guardians, if the Guardians payroll is 130 million, but the Yankees are at 800 million or whatever, I'm just making it up. But well, if, if they're three, time, they're three yeah. times as much, say, you know, it's not going to help you get a better team. So because they never, ever address the structural problems with baseball, they can't even do something real basic. This would change the game to an extent. A maximum contract like they have in the NBA. You can't go, you know, four or five years. It depends on the player's thing. And that's it. Instead of these idiotic 10-year deals and 14-year deals, the way Jose Ramirez signaled to Cleveland that he wanted to stay is he agreed to a framework of a five year extension on top of the two, take him to the age of 36. When they saw that and they saw it was real, then they said, let's work on this. And they found a way to make it work. That, but they won't even do that. What did they do in this new deal? Even I looked at this thing and I was talking to somebody else, like a couple of numbers guys could have fixed it in a week, David, you know, what, <laughs> what they ended up doing, you know, because this is compromise on, on this much for these type of free agents. But there was no, forget salary cap. There was no, they always say, well, well, they have a salary cap because the luxury tax, but some of these other teams will pay the luxury tax. No, they don't. And then you're not required. You know, you watch football, you go over the cap one year, you get slaughtered the next on your roster. You just get crushed. Well, I think if you were to propose that, given the current climate, there would be a instead of a hundred day lockout or whatever it was, it's going to be a hundred months. I don't think the players will. No, they won't go they, for they it. They won't go for any of and that. And the owners so. are not strong enough, um, like they are in the other two sports, to to insist on this. See, the base basketball has been able to get their owners in L.A. and New York and the rest. Um, well, there's ways you go through the cap of the luxury tax, but they did get that. Ma- I'm telling you, the maximum contract is huge. It's a huge thing to have uh, it for your sport. Now it allows your stars to move around some, but that's okay too, as opposed to, you know, paying for, you know, his great grandkids education at Harvard. I mean, geez. I don't know if we're going to live to see the day of that have that happening, but you never know. You never know. So well, what, well they just signed a new four-year deal. So, you know, it's, yeah. 
Maybe someday. We'll see. Um, all right, Terry, this one comes from Chris Shelgren. He is a 92 graduate of Chagrin Falls, and he lives in the Chicago area now. He says, one quick point. I keep reading and hearing sports writers say the Browns gave up three first-round picks for Deshaun Watson. I could not disagree more. The Browns gave up two first-round picks. With the first-round pick in the 22 draft, the Browns select Deshaun Watson, QB Houston Texans. Browns oh, gave up two first-round picks, and the others, of course. I'm sure that's how Andrew Barry looks at it. Well, Andrew appreciates the support. <laughs> he also gave up some other picks, too. Uh, the difference is this. If you had taken Deshaun Watson in the first round, you would not be paying him $259 million or 250, whatever it is, $230 million guaranteed. You would have him on a rookie contract. Rookie contracts are gold to teams in a sport with a real salary cap. Especially a quarterback. Yeah, well, even any position, you know? I mean, look, look they've had Denzel Ward. We'll see what Denzel's... Um, extension comes in at but they had him at you know those cornerbacks make sometimes uh right underneath they sort of make second level quarterback money you know so that's that was that's huge um and nick chubb think about what they what they had for nick chubb those last few years and you know now he signed his extension so i you know like you want to rationalize it fine but it just isn't the exact same because the, 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 the way you make it in the NFL is you, they always say draft well. You draft well because it protects your salary cap and your payroll. Yeah, and talking about the three first-round picks, I mean, that's three potential starters right there. Three the in a three row. Years. Three in a three row. Three in a row. Yep. I, know, I know. What is it? The Rams haven't had a first-round pick for five years or something like that. They got there. They did win, but – I don't think that's going to be the preferred way to do it. All right. Well, thanks for that question, Chris. Um, fair one, by the way, uh, this fair question too. It is. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right, Terry, let's, uh, let's go to some Terry's trivia since we're getting ready to wrap up here. So Stephen Kwan, as you mentioned, was drafted out of Oregon state by the Indians in the 2018 draft and the fifth round, he attended Washington high school in Fremont, California. There is a former Indians pitcher who was a, went on from Cleveland to play in Oakland and became one of the greatest all-time relief pitchers in the history of Major League Baseball. I probably gave you too many hints. So I mean, which, like pitcher the- are, which pitcher went to the same high school, Washington High School in Fremont, California, played for the Indians and went on to be an all-time great reliever, probably one of the top five ever. Yeah, Dennis Eckersley is the answer to that. Dennis Eckersley, right. And, and it's, uh, he's a great guy. You know, Dennis told me an interesting story. I, I'm pretty sure I wrote about the Curse of Rocky Calvito because when he was younger, he had a drinking problem in this. And he said that um, I believe it's it either his wife's birthday party or his daughter's. But anyway, somebody in her family, Dennis got a buzz on. They taped it and they showed it to him the next day. And he looked at that and realized, I can't keep embarrassing my family. And that got him squarely on the road to recovery. And, no kidding. You know, he's been, yeah. Uh, so, by the way, some of us with people in our family, you may want to consider that um, move. It's painful. But because you know how it is, if 
you've had anybody with alcohol or drug problems, they always tell you it's not so bad and you're not hurting anybody else and because they don't see it. And by the way, Dennis has, you know, done a lot of TV and radio over the years and, and just a, just a great guy at that sidearm motion. And, um, so that's cool. I did not know that about Quan and Eckersley. Yeah. And there's another notable alumni from Washington high in Fremont, California. Bill Walsh was the head football coach there from 1957 to 1959, a little known fact. Wow. So there you go, Terry, two trivia questions in one week. We give you only the best here on the Terry's talking podcast. So, uh, what do you got planned for Easter? What do you got going? Uh, was, we have actually back to back dates at the Haven of rest city mission in Akron. We have Sunday night and Monday night. So, um, we'll have, that's where we'll be at the city mission. And, uh, if you're in Akron, you want to come by, it's anybody's there. And I could tell you this, the food's pretty good. They always have the good Turkey spreads and everything else. So, cause we are always there once or twice a month anyway. And we do the holidays, uh, evenings, Christmas, uh, Thanksgiving, um, Easter, there's probably one or two others that I'm, that escapes And you get a great me, so. turnout for that. I know too. Yes. Yeah, you do. So that's, uh, there's a lot of folks that be coming in. Good, good. Well, good luck with that. And Terry, uh, just real quick for people listening, we're going to take next week off because um, I'm going to be off next week, but we'll be back in two weeks, which is actually the day before the NFL draft. So we'll have some good stuff to talk about. And uh, I don't know anything you want to say to wrap up. I am done. All right. <laughs> so we'll see everybody in two weeks. And uh, we always thank you for listening. We, we know there's a lot of podcasts you can be listening to. Some of them have acronyms and some don't. <clears throat> But we really appreciate you listening, and we'll catch you in a couple weeks on Terry's Talking.